Service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. So said Muhammad Ali. Welcome to episode four of the Dr. Cliff podcast. Volunteering is good for the soul. All right, thanks for joining me, everyone. So this is episode four. Volunteering is good for the soul here on the Dr. Cliff podcast. Uh, This is a working title, as I've said. I'm trying to find a title, and I'd appreciate some some ideas from the listeners out there. You can reach me on Instagram at drcliffworldwidevet, or you can find me on YouTube. Actually, check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash drcliff. Uh, Lots of great videos there about our travels around the world, uh, volunteering, uh, which is why we're going to talk about it today. And uh, also a lot of sort of information about taking care of cats and dogs and free vet advice, basically. But yeah, I'm looking for a title that kind of talks about, uh, you know, it kind of says that, yes, this is a veterinarian podcast. um, But just like everybody else, I have a life outside of work. And Um, I think one of the reasons why I am a good, pretty good veterinarian is I do have a decent life outside of work. So I'm, I'm looking forward to finding a title that kind of sort of brings that all together. You know, I don't want to call it Dr. Cliff Worldwide Vet because, you know, we don't always talk. In fact, most of the time we don't talk about that. Just talking about the lessons that I've learned being a veterinarian, but not only uh, running that business, but life lessons, and then uh, starting to interview people as well. And, and, and they can be of any sort of any uh, field, any place in life, um, just people I find interesting, honestly. Um, so if you think you'd be a good guest, reach out to me. Um, again, YouTube, uh, Instagram, oh, my email, uh, drcliffwwv at vet905.com. Uh, we're going to have a website up soon. Uh, I think it's going to be drcliff.ca, but, uh, of course I'll talk about it, uh, on all the social media channels. Um, before we get to the main topic today, I want to talk about a, a, a story, a case that, uh, hit me sort of right in the heart yesterday at work. Um, and it starts off sad, uh, but hopefully you guys will realize it, it, it kind of in a, uh, circle of life sort of way has a has a good ending. Um, this dog, we're going to call him Snowy. Snowy, a little white fluffy thing, cute little white fluffy dog. And uh, he was nearing the end of his life. He was almost 15. And uh, he'd had he'd had a handful of problems over the last three or four years. And the family had uh, done whatever was necessary and we're always able to find the time and the means um, financially to seek out my help, seek out the help of various specialists due to heart disease and arthritis and, and whatnot, um, liver problems. And unfortunately, um, Snowy had a sort of a, a relapse or a, a spike in, a, in his liver issue. And, um, the family, uh, after three or four days in my hospital and then taking them home to spend some time with everyone made the very difficult, but right decision decision to say goodbye to him. And, uh, you know, this is a, oh, we're lucky. Like this is a, this is almost a gift. We're able to offer the pets in our lives, our, our furry companions, 
that we're able to sort of choose the time that they're going to pass away and do it in a humane and peaceful way and respectful way um, to kind of honor the love that they've given us and, and, you know, to take them out of their misery um, and to do it in a way where they can, they can be with their family and, and uh, not be alone if it happens in the middle of the night, that sort of thing. And it is something that we're slowly here in North America starting to recognize as a service, if you want to call it that, or is, is something that we can offer. Let's call it medicine. It's part of the medical care. It's something we can offer for uh, people in our lives as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm really lucky as a veterinarian to be able to, to be a part of that. If that doesn't sound too, too strange. Um, obviously it's very, very sad and very hard, but, um, when it's the right time and it's being done for the right reasons, it's, it's something that I take very seriously. So it was a, it was a sad day. Um, uh, and, and, you know, yeah, it was very difficult. Uh, we weren't able to hug and shake hands and sort of, uh, give the normal, um, pleasantries that, that we naturally do afterwards because of COVID. Um, but we were allowed to able to, or we were able to, uh, have the family come in and, and be with Snowy, um, and, you know, in his final breaths. So, you know, I do wish I look forward to COVID being over for many reasons. And one of them is so I can physically express that, that sympathy and, and support I want to give these people. So, you know, this started off very sad because it was very hard for the family and, um, obviously very hard for us, but, but a fraction of what they were going through. And, I started to talk to them sort of right before the the deed was done, before he, he said goodbye and we said goodbye to him. And the family kind of, you know, they did their normal, thank you very much for being, being a part of our lives and we really appreciate the service that, that you've given us. And they ended up basically saying, you know, we... You know, they were, they were being more specific and they were saying, you know, thank you for everything that you've done, Cliff, and you and, and, and Dr. Shanice, your associate, and the team here are great. And they said, you know, especially the last three or four years, we've had a lot of, a lot of problems with Snowy and we know we've called you a lot and we're probably a bit of a hassle sometimes. We have been. And, and to be honest, yeah, there were times um, that we kind of go, oh, another phone call. Um, but they said, you know, anytime we came in here or called with a difficult question, came in here with a, with a real health problem with Snowy, we always left feeling comforted, um, feeling that our concerns were taken seriously and that you guys had a handle on things and um, that you guys would involve us in the care of our dog. And so it could be this sort of group decision. Um, and it really touched me. It was something I haven't heard in a long time. And, you know, I think my clients do appreciate me quite a bit, uh, and my team and, and my associate. Um, but it, it's been a while since been, it's been put in words and it got me thinking as I'm driving home that, you know, here is a case where, you know, if, if I'll be honest, and, and this isn't always, um, I'm not always proud of these moments. So, you know, this is me opening up a little bit. Um, you know, you'd, you'd have a family like that where, you know, they might be sort of over concerned with a 
a problem. Uh, something that we would consider minor is, is really stressing them out. And so they'd call us and we'd, you know, you'd pick up the phone and you'd hear that Snowy's family's online too. And, you know, they got a problem with X, Y, or Z. And you'd kind of, just for a brief second, oh man, okay. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with this. I mean, it's part of the job. And, and you know, it would always go nice and you'd answer their questions and you'd help them out and you'd kind of feel a little bit good about it. But, you know, there's always, I guess what I'm saying is I wasn't appreciating them as much as I should have and definitely not as much as, as they appreciated me. And, and that's wrong on my part. Um, you know, people don't have to use me as their veterinarian. Uh, and that's okay. Like if they, if they don't, if they don't like my, my style or my, my, sort of style of communication or the type of medicine I recommend, um, or maybe my fees are too high or maybe my hours aren't good or whatever. There's a reason. I mean, that's fine. I don't take it personally, but what I, what I, and I, I guess, and I guess that's part of the problem is I've, I've been able to separate that side of people being dissatisfied. And it's not that I ignore it. I mean, I try and improve what I'm doing and try and be a better veterinarian and be a better business owner and whatnot. So, you know, but, but I would try not to take all that stuff to heart. I don't take it personally. And I think what it's ended up doing is resulting in me sometimes not taking personally the good stuff, you know, and I should take that personally in a good way. I should, I should be very appreciative that, that these people are, are seeking my advice. Um, and, you know, I, I, I occasionally have to remind myself that, even though I know this isn't an emergency and that they're overreacting with how concerned they are, they don't know that. So it's to them, it's important. And it's my job to help them through that and maybe educate them so that they're, you know, they're less nervous in the future. And, and it sort of helps me out because they're able to deal with some problems on their own and they sort of feel empowered. Um, but I, I need to appreciate more and it really hit me nicely in the heart when they said that. Um, and, and so, you know, after, after the fact, I, I sent an email off to my associate right away to, while it was still fresh in my mind to say what was going on and, and what they had said about her too, because it was also very touching. Because um, I recognize she probably needs to hear that every once in a while as well. Like this is a, this is a tough job. All jobs out there are difficult in their own way. Um, and I think we don't, we as in the industry, the veterinarians in North America, as I've talked before, it's a, it's a career that is often uh, f- sort of, it, it creates dissatisfaction in a lot of veterinarians. There's the majority of veterinarians, uh, certainly in the U.S., uh, for various factors, the majority of veterinarians do not want their kids to be veterinarians. They're not happy with their job, with their career. Um, and... You know, I, I, I think we forget how, how uh, uh, lucky we are, how blessed we are um, to be able to do this and to be able to be a positive influence in people's lives and, and in the care that they give their pets. And, and as long as we sort of recognize that and recognize the people that appreciate us and are just, you know, they're just reaching out to us because they want help with taking care of their, their beloved pet. Um, 
you know, we, we can focus on that and we can accept that, that and enjoy that appreciation that they have, which then allows us more easily to not take personally the people who are less appreciative. Um, so it was a really, you know, I've been a vet for 22 years, 22 and a half years, and I've had these moments before, but this one hit me a little bit stronger. And I think it was the honesty and the openness that, uh, and the vulnerability that this family had in, in saying thank you. And, and so I think by discussing this with you guys, and bringing it out and hearing my words, I'm hoping it's going to stick in my stubborn brain a little bit more um, so that I'm a little little more satisfied in, in a career that I already love. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and appreciative. I need to be more appreciative of, of the, uh, the clients who come and, and, and give me the opportunity to help them take care of their pets. Um, so it ended up being, it's kind of a slightly fitting beginning of this topic of uh, volunteerism. And Muhammad Ali put it right. I mean, service to others is the rent that we pay for our room here on earth. And, uh, you know, I often talk about how, you know, we need to be kind to animals because they were here first and it's their planet and they're just sharing it with us. We're not sharing it with them. Um, and, And we need to show the planet and we need to show these animals and other people the respect that everyone deserves and everything deserves um, because we're, we're pretty blessed to be on this giant molten lava boulder, you know, soaring through space at a time where everyone's healthier than they ever have been. Uh, Everyone's, you know, less poor than there ever has been in the entire world. This is the best time to live and tomorrow will be a bit better and the next day will be a bit better. But we are pretty blessed and, you know, I, I think we forget that. And again, we sort of forget to appreciate how lucky we are, even when, when things seem pretty shitty and dark, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we're pretty lucky to be here, even when, when we have to face challenges and, and we can't sort of meet up with those challenges. So, you know, I started thinking about volunteerism and, and did some reading and some of the stuff I'm going to talk about, I stole from the internet. Um, you know, I think it's uh, okay to borrow other people's ideas when they're good ideas and you agree with them. Um, so I just want to talk about that. And, you know, I've been volunteering. I mean, look, there were times when I was young and I was volunteering. We didn't have the volunteer program that uh, high school kids here have in Ontario. I don't know what it's like in the rest of the world, but kids here in high school have to do something like 40 hours a year for four years of volunteer work um, or else they don't graduate. And uh, which I think is a great idea for them to get out there and sort of uh, help out basically and meet new people. So I've been volunteering here and there and, and, you know, volunteering mostly as a veterinarian, almost exclusively as a veterinarian. Um, but it it really got sort of amped up two and a half years ago when I realized I needed some wildlife animal experience. You know, again, I'm traveling around the world and I'm dealing with some, some species I'm not used to. Um, and I, I just wanted to get better. 
So yes, I'm volunteering, but I'm still getting something out of it. I'm getting paid in experience and knowledge, um, but I think that's okay. I think that's part of volunteering is, is it's okay to get something out of it. You're just not asking for money, right? So I ended up hearing that uh, Kathy, who runs the Shades of Hope Wildlife Ref- Refuge um, just north of us, um, that, uh, she was always looking for veterinarians. Uh, I can't remember exactly why I heard how I heard about her, but I reached out to her and sure enough, she said, sure, come on by. And, and I went there on a Friday and there was, they had a wildlife veterinarian who they pay. who's was a much, you know, she's a world-class wildlife uh, specialist. So she deserves to get paid in what she's doing. Um, and she would come by occasionally and, and help out with the crazy cases. And uh, it ended up being uh, Dr. Cox. Dr. Cox is uh, is a classmate of, of, or is a sister of a classmate of mine. Um, and, uh, you know, so she was there. So we started talking and, and she gave me some information about drugs um, for these species that are quite different, um, the, the dosaging and whatnot. And, and then uh, at the end, her last case was stitching something up. I think it was stitching up a possum or something like that. And she basically said, oh, Cliff, you can do this. Just stitch it up like you would a cat. And then she was gone. Uh, so I kind of got thrown into this. And I came by a few times on my own. And uh, I was only coming every other every other Friday. But after a while, Kathy gave me a call and we had this kind of silly conversation because it was like she was asking me out, but she didn't want to get to it. You know, there's a lot of hums and haws and and whatnot. And she eventually said, Hey, I'd like you to, I'd like you to be our regular vet. We really enjoy working with you. And, you know, you have a bit of a cowboy attitude, which is kind of nice because that's how wildlife medicine is. Sometimes you just got to jump in there and give it a try. And she said, you know, you're willing to listen to us, you know, us non-veterinarians and learn from us, uh, which I continue to do. They've taught me a lot. And so I started to come. Now they offered me some money and I said, no, thank you. I said, maybe in, uh, by January. So I, I would do six months of once a week. Um, maybe in January I'll start billing you, but right now I'm going to be learning a lot. And, um, so I won't, I won't invoice you. And then January came around and we kind of sat down I said, look, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. And this has really helped me in my travels and my wildlife stuff. And I do a lot of I take some photos and some videos and they let me post it on Instagram. So, you know, it's helping me sort of brand myself, if you want to call it that. So I've been doing it for two and a half years and and pretty consistently once a week. And occasionally they actually, on a non-Friday, they bring a case down to my clinic. And it's been amazing. And, and, and obviously, I think a lot of people would say, yeah, well, that's cool. You get to deal with hawks and raccoons and snakes and whatnot. And this is something you're super passionate about. Um, But you can find something you're passionate about. And so looking back at Shades of Hope, uh, you know, for example, uh, as I said, I I learned a lot. So so I did not do orthopedic surgery. I, I had zero experience. I understand the theory. I'm a very good soft tissue surgeon, but it's different with fixing broken bones. And but they get a lot of birds with broken bones. So they basically lent me their book and I went home and I started studying and I made notes and, and they got all the tools. And although they're not veterinarians, they sort of understand, they understand the theories behind it. And lo and behold, the first uh, bird comes and I think it was a, it was a, a, a larger, it was probably like a dove or, or something like that, or not a seagull, but it wasn't a hawk, but it was a bigger than, than average bird. 
and it had a broken wing or a broken leg. I don't exactly remember. And, and I kind of reminded them I've never done this before. And they said, yeah, we get that. And they said, look, you're the only vet here. We don't have any other vet who's coming and helping us. If you can't fix this, we're going to euthanize this bird. Okay, well, we'll give it a try. So the bird ended up dying on anis, under anesthetic, which is a, a common complication, and died before I even got to do anything. So lo and behold, I went and I pinned the, the wing anyways, pinned the broken bone, and did the x-rays. The pin looked good. Everything went great. Of course, it was easy when they're, when they're already deceased. But that's how I started to learn. And then the second one came a couple weeks later, and same thing. Give it a try. You got to learn. We don't ever really have an option. And this time the pin went in great. The animal, you know, the bird stayed alive. Pin went in great. X-rays looked great, et cetera, et cetera. Unfortunately, the bird passed away pretty much right at the end of surgery. Again, this happens occasionally. But then the third one happened, and there's some great photo and video on the Instagram page. It's like a good 18 months prior, though. Um, and it was a red-tailed hawk with a... Uh, broken humerus, so the upper arm bone between the elbow and the shoulder. Red-tailed hawks are one of my favorite hawks. We see them outside the roads all the time. And they're predatory birds, obviously, so they've got to be perfect. Not like a leg, you know, where if it's a seagull and the leg's a little bit crooked, they're still going to be fine. Um, this bird had to be perfect. This was its bread and butter, so to speak, its ability to hunt. And uh, it survived anesthetic, and it survived being cared for and rehabbed. And I actually got to release this bird six weeks after the fact. It was snowy. It was beautiful outside. And this bird flew off perfectly. And thus began sort of me learning how to do this volunteer work and sorry, learning how to fix broken bones. And now it's gotten to the point where we have broken, broken bones and in, in birds and I'm doing side pins, which is a much more complicated technique. And it's, I'm not nervous about it. I've, I've been able to adjust my surgical technique on the fly, so to speak. And, uh, and I've even slowly have now jumped into fixing broken bones in mammals. Um, so it's really, really made me a much better, much better veterinarian and surgeon. So I want to talk about volunteering in general, um, not, not about being a veterinarian, uh, volunteer. Um, and, you know, one of the things that was actually made me think about this is a book uh, I'm reading right now called, uh, it's written by Jay Telly, I think his name is, um, How to Think Like a Monk. And uh, he talks about, uh, you know, removing fear and forgiving those who have harmed you or hurt you. And it was actually, I'm on a chapter that's talking about happiness and life and, and that studies after studies have shown that after a certain dollar figure, as far as a salary, once you can have a roof over your head and, uh, and food on the table and you can take care of, of the ones you love for basic necessities of life, that winning the lottery or making three times as much or 10 times as much or happiness doesn't really change. And that the average person making whatever 80 grand a year, let's say, here in North America is actually just as happy as someone like, say, Jeff Bezos, who runs Amazon, who's worth billions of dollars. Because really what makes us happy is being able to be with the ones we love, having these relationships and these connections and actually giving back to the community, whether that's, you know, the, the, the neighborhood or the Cub Scout group or 
whatever, like your church group, you're giving back to a group of people that you belong to. That's the community. So it's, that's how I sort of started thinking about volunteerism. Um, so I started to do some research and, and again, I've, I've plagiarized this from, uh, from other sources, but you know, uh, I was able to find, so there are some benefits obviously to volunteering. Um, and you know, it talked about the stuff I found about talking about, of course, connecting you to other people. So essentially you're less lonely, right? And even if you have lots of friends and even if you have family that, that you love, it's nice to have that feeling of connection, of, of sort of a shared goal, a shared interest. I think when you, when you put yourself out there and you do volunteer, you get a different connection than you would with your family or your friends. Um, because here you've got someone that's got a, a people that have a, a like-minded mindset that you, that you have, you know? So also volunteering is, is, you know, they talk about how good it is for the mind and good it is for the body. And obviously for the mind, you may learn some stuff and it, it helps you appreciate life. Um, and again, those connections that you're making with your community, but they've shown that people who volunteer and it doesn't take much, it only takes, uh, uh, two to three hours a week to get this noticeable medical health benefit people's stress levels reduce which results in cortisol levels reducing which can actually help with weight loss it can help with your cortisol level dropping or your uh, your cholesterol levels dropping so it's good for your heart your blood pressure goes down all these things are attributed to the feel-good hormones that your body produces when you do things that make you feel good and obviously volunteering can can be one of that. Now, in my case, and in a lot of other people's cases, volunteering can actually help you advance your career and make you a better veterinarian or teacher or father or mother or whatever your career may be, that volunteering can can help advance it. So even though you're not getting paid, you're still getting something out of this. And And you know, I think people need to feel okay with that, you know, that, hey, I'm actually doing this to help my career, but that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're honest with yourself about it, that's one of the reasons why you're doing it. I think you're going to find then that when you've reached that point or you've gained that advancement in your career, that, that help that volunteering did for you, you're probably still going to continue in some way, shape, or form, or at least you're going to inspire other people to do it, right? The last thing, and this is sort of wishy-washy, but it's fun. Like, I, so, so again, for me, it's easy to, for I think a lot of you guys to understand, I get to hold and examine and help hawks and eagles, you know, little songbirds and snakes and snapping turtles and raccoons and coyotes and fox and possums and you know, bats even, heck, going around the world, I've dealt with, you know, monkeys and elephants and all this stuff all through volunteering. So I feel good. And now sometimes I'm driving out there and it's, especially in the wintertime, you know, it's a long drive from where I am. Uh, it's a good hour, 20 minutes maybe. And then it's a f- kind of a full day. It's maybe about six hours, but no breaks or anything. You just do the full six hours and then you jump in the car and you drive home. So as I'm driving there, every once in a while, I'm like, oh man, I wish they had called me yesterday to say there was nothing going on. I could take the day off. But whenever I come home, I feel good. I know I've helped. 
you know. Um, so it does make me feel fulfilled, although it takes me away from my family a little bit, but what can you do, right? So those are the benefits. Now, I found some great tips uh, about if you're interested in volunteering, what you need to do. So first of all, you got to figure out what you, what you want to accomplish. Are you just looking to help? Is there a certain cause that you're interested in? Or are you looking to advance your career or get better at something, learn a new skill, meet a partner? I mean, that's that's another people do that. If they're if they're having trouble meeting the right man or woman, they sometimes people say, Hey, why don't you volunteer at the soup kitchen or find something that you're interested in volunteer? So uh, what what are you hoping to accomplish? And figure that out. Now it could be you want to improve the neighborhood. As I said, you know, meet new people, meet different people, meet people that you're attracted to, that you want to spend some time with. It's a good icebreaker. Maybe just have some spare time that you want to fill. You know, what is it that you want to accomplish? Maybe you want to see new things and new places and experience new ways of living. That's actually one of the benefits I've had and Emily has had, uh, my daughter who's come with me to India and Egypt, that we've seen some pretty amazing things spiritually and culturally and tasted new foods and all these things. And wow, what an adventure it's been all in the name of volunteering. We've had some of the best times in our lives and, and definitely it's changed us for the better. We will never forget those experiences. Again, some people may want to accomplish sort of, they want to test out a future job. Uh, or career. And, and, you know, maybe they're in one career, they're a little bit dissatisfied. They've always wanted to, you know, do whatever. They've always wanted to be a mechanic. Um, okay. So volunteer somewhere where you can see what it's like to be a mechanic. You could even volunteer at your local, uh, your local uh, auto shop, though. I'm sure there's probably some uh, labor laws there about that, but uh, there's got to be a way that you can do this if you want to see if this is something you want to get into. Right. Um, so that might be a, uh, 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 sort of a, a benefit to volunteering. And then last but not least, just to share something you're good at, right? I'm a good veterinarian. And again, this made me a much better veterinarian and continues to make me a better veterinarian volunteering, whether it's abroad or, or here locally with Shades of Hope. But I have a skill that people need and understandably, veterinarians want to charge appropriately for that. So I don't besmudge the veterinarians who who don't want to do this for free. I'm in a very unique place in my life that I'm young enough to still want to volunteer, but I've owned my business 20 years, so it's sometimes on autopilot. So financially, the business is doing okay. It can afford for me to leave one day a week. My youngest is 19. My other two are 21 each, twin boys. So they're kind of out of the house. They're out of our way, right? So I, I have time and opportunity and the means to do this. So so that was another thing is I got to share something I'm good at and, and became better at it as well. So now, you know, the, the experts do warn that we shouldn't overdo it. I do more than two to three hours a, a week, but again, I'm in a unique situation. I also typically do a lot more than other people. And that's not a pat on my back. It's just, I, I, I got these, you know, these voices in my head that are always constantly making me go, 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 whether it's sports or work or these hobbies or whatnot. Um, I'm a little bit kind of ADD or pinballish. Someone called me a pinball once that that was the nickname because I, all this kinetic energy and lights and noises, and I bounce around all over the place from one idea to another. But 
two to three hours a week is plenty. Uh, I mean, shoot, if all of us, if all the capable people were to volunteer two hours a week, you know, for, for the next 20 years, oh my God, how many problems would we solve, right? Now, again, research has shown, no surprises here, right, that there are benefits to this, but you can't overdo it. And, and these benefits have been shown that it, that it occurs with just two to three hours a week, all these health benefits and emotional benefits. So, you know, that's, that's sort of the first thing you want to think about when you're, when you're thinking about volunteering. If you've kind of made a decision that you are going to do it, and if you, if you are, that's fantastic. Next, research where you're hoping to volunteer. Um, uh, you know, make sure there's no surprises when you get there. What are you, what are you actually going to be doing? And it, it would be fine to go and talk to these people, obviously, and say, hey, I'm really interested in volunteering with your organization. How could you use me? You know, here's what I see. Is this reasonable? I don't, they don't want you to show up and be pissed after a couple of visits and then bail on them. That doesn't help them any. They want people who are going to be consistent that they can train and then sort of release and release you onto the world of volunteering, right? So be honest with them and be honest with yourself of what you're hoping to gain from it and what you're looking to do. Um, now, if you do find yourself volunteering and it's not working, change. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with that. Just be honest. Just say, hey, this isn't this, you know, this isn't as what I thought it was going to be. Even if you thought it was going to be fun, it's okay to say this isn't, I'm not having fun. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're honest with the organizers in the beginning and you've developed that sort of rapport with them, then, then change. Uh, and if you haven't developed that rapport with them, change anyways. You don't want to be miserable. And next time, you know, be a little bit more honest with the people that you're volunteering with. Now, here's the thing. I volunteer overseas. I volunteer abroad, as, as you guys know. If you're going to do that, and a lot of people do that, and it's fantastic for, for many, many reasons that we've talked about in the past and we'll talk about in future, future podcasts about traveling, but make sure you're not stealing jobs from the unemployed or the underemployed. A lot of times when people volunteer, they volunteer in sort of developing poor countries. Maybe they're building houses, maybe they're working at an animal sanctuary, whatever. Make sure you're not stealing, you're not taking jobs away from anybody, uh, especially because these people are often going to be making pennies on the dollar. Uh, I've talked about in the past how in India, a veterinarian makes $30 a day. Now, whenever I volunteered, I definitely wasn't taking any jobs and I was, I was able to help the veterinarians. They were still getting paid. They taught me, I taught them, we all got along. It was a fantastic situation. But, it, you know, it's actually something I didn't think that hard about. I think I would have noticed and I would have rethought it, but I never actually realized, oh yeah, people might be taking job opportunities away if they volunteer overseas. So that is something you need to, uh, you need to kind of consider. Um, and, and, you know, as I've said before, make sure you're enjoying yourself. If you're doing it abroad, make sure you're enjoying yourself you might be there for a week volunteering. You might be there for months. Speak up if you're not. Um, it's reasonable that you that you enjoy yourself uh, when you're doing all this stuff for free. That's kind of the situation with with volunteering, right? I've been I've been blessed. I've I've as I said, I've learned a lot, and I've been able to work with some amazing people. And and heck, the animals uh, 
so beautiful, these hawks and foxes and coyotes. And one memory that really stands out, of course, there's the great story on YouTube about uh, on our India series about Clementine, the monkey. I mean, it was, it was the first time so far that I've ever had to work on a monkey. And, and it was quite a challenge and, and very uplifting and inspiring and, and being able to work with these people. But I actually had the chance to uh, meet and kind of examine and definitely feed a circus elephant, a retired or rescued circus elephant. She was now at the zoo. I was, I was so humbled. These things are so big. And, and, you know, of course, I was, oh, of course it's big as, you know, 10,000 pounds or whatever it is. Uh, and she wasn't even a, a, a male, right? So she was smaller, um, this Indian elephant. And, but like you just touch them and just the, the trunk coming out and grabbing the sugar cane from my hand, you automatically felt the power it had. And it, and it was it was quite an experience. It was a little bit scary, to be honest with you, after the fact. But it was quite an experience because it realizes, oh, we're nothing compared to, to these guys when it comes to physical specimens, you know. So that's kind of it about volunteering. Like, I, I do recommend it. It, it, is, it has allowed me, I've said it over and over again, to become a better veterinarian, a better surgeon, a better animal surgeon, definitely a better leader. Um, but most importantly, and, and this is why I'm going to continue to volunteer my whole life. And I, I certainly understand now why people, when they retire, uh, you know, 60, 65 years old, a lot of them will, will volunteer because they have the time. Cause I think they realize that it makes you a better person. And it's definitely done that for me. I, I appreciate my life more. I have a sort of better sense of community. Definitely, I feel accomplished and proud of myself, which is okay to feel, obviously. I feel very proud of myself at the end of the day. Kind of gives me a little bit of emotional protection for when people are pissed off at me and a client says, oh, you don't, you don't care about the animals. You just care about the money. I don't even, I don't even argue with them. You know, I just let them go their way. They're, they're angry at me. But I can honestly say to myself, okay, I'm not doing this for the money because, you know, I, I spend so much time volunteering. So, you know, it's given me sort of that emotional pride uh, and professional pride, which is great. It reminds me over and over again and kind of confirms that I've become a veterinarian for the right reasons uh, and I'm doing it for the right reasons. Yes, I need to make money. Yes, it's a successful business and I want to take care of my family and I want to occasionally buy nice things. But in the end, I'm still like that little kid that just loved the majesty of animals and the beauty and the power, you know, appreciated them for their lives and for the fact that they're sharing this planet with us. I can honestly say I'm going to continue to pay rent for the room that I have here on earth. And uh, I would encourage all of you guys to do the same. So volunteering, definitely good for the soul, feeds the heart, feeds the mind, and, and uh, just gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling uh, all in all. So please consider it. And uh, thanks for listening. So uh, this is the end of episode four. Volunteering is good for the soul. And as usual, follow me on all the various social media channels. And I really, really would want, if anyone wants to reach out to me and wants to be a guest on the show, either in person, obviously with social distancing, or 
Uh, we could do a phone interview. I'm figuring out how to do that. Please reach out to me, Dr. Cliff Worldwide Vet. So Dr. Cliff WWV at vet905.com or just find me on Instagram at drcliffworldwidevet or uh, put a comment in one of the YouTube uh, YouTube videos, youtube.com slash drcliff. Uh, I really, really do want to reach out to you guys. And even if you just have questions, uh, let me know. So thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Share it with your friends and uh, keep paying rent to the time that you're spending here for the room that you're spending here on this beautiful planet, Mother Earth. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, as always, be kind to animals. All right. I love you guys for listening. Peace. Peace.